Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Sinkavik, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. You can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser, Tarot Reader, Evidential Medium, Healer. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And also, this episode is being sponsored by Aaron, Alan Questel from UncommonSensing.com. And you can find his book, Intentional Acts of Kindness, on Amazon. So help support this podcast by checking out my sponsors. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Mary Maduna Gross, Ph.D., and we are going to talk about the power of belief. Thanks mm-hmm. for coming on today. Good morning. It's great to be here. So, what is the difference between an actual belief and conditioning? <laughs> I would say there's probably very little difference between the two. Um, the conditioning that we experienced, um, as a child growing up forms our core beliefs. So whatever our primary caregivers believed about themselves, whatever they modeled for us, whatever they told us about us, we just downloaded all of that information between the birth and age seven. We're just downloading all of this. We're not questioning it. We're just accepting it all at face value. And so if we had parents who, you know, would get frustrated with us and say, oh, my God, you're so lazy or or, you know, even even those things that I think our parents said to us that they thought they were trying to motivate us mm-hmm. um, were really those messages that we take in our unconscious mind takes that in that message says, oh, my gosh, I'm lazy. Then we start to create beliefs about ourselves about being lazy. Oh, man, that's terrible. What a terrible it's- thing to happen. It's like we're screwed from the very beginning, right? You know, I mean, I was like, I don't know. I want to be able to choose my oh. own beliefs. Uh, well, and I love it that you just said that, that we're screwed from the beginning. Because literally as I was taking my dog to daycare this morning, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, you know, I think we come in, we come from, this is my personal beliefs. I think we come from oneness. And we come into this experience um, to experience separateness. And it's almost like this is our game of can we find our way back to oneness again? (laughs) And I don't even say, let me even correct my own language. I don't think can we find our way back to oneness because I think it's inevitable that we will. It's what is our journey going to be as we find our way back to oneness? Hmm. But what's the point? Why do you think the oneness wanted to experience all these different separate versions of itself? You know, I, I guess I'm going to lean into uh, Neil Donald Walsh's books, uh, Conversations with God. This is really that those books really formulated a lot of my beliefs about this. And what's the point? I think the point is, again, forgive me if, if I'm not very articulate about this, but I think, again, we're, we're all one, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're all one, we don't experience ourselves as the one, uh, as the greatness. So think about a small flame on the sun. The, that small flame is a part of the sun and it just, 
It's contributing to the heat that the sun is producing, and it's wonderful. But that small flame doesn't experience itself as itself. It doesn't experience itself as the creator of this heat. But it's protected, right? It's not going to blow out because it's around all kinds of other uh, fire and, and all of these kinds of things. So I think we step out of that. Uh, we step out of the sun to become our own little flame mm. so that we can now experience the amazing power of creating um, and coming back to that experience of oneness. I think that's what it, it's. a. I think it's, I want to say it's a game, but uh, that feels like it um, trivializes it. And, and I don't want to trivialize this at all because I think this is why we're all here. But I, I, I like the word game because I want to play with this. Right. I, I've really if consciously made an effort to remove work from my vocabulary, uh, that, that word, that concept. Because every time I say, oh, I'm working on this or I'm working on that, there's a sense of that I have to. There's um, that I have to do something I don't really want to do. It's work. And instead, I'm really replacing that with I'm playing with this. I'm experimenting with this. I'm exploring this. Um, so that what that does for me is it keeps me <clears throat> loose, right? So when I'm working, that also suggests that I have an idea about what this outcome should be. Mm-hmm. And every all of my efforts are to get to this outcome. But when I'm playing with it, I have an outcome in mind. I know which direction I want to go in. But I'm also going to be aware of, I'm going to keep my head up and be aware of what are the resources around me? What are the indications I'm getting that this project that I'm working on wants to go take a left or take a right? And would I be willing to move with the project in that way? Or am I going to say, no, I'm working on this and this is the direction that we're going in? Uh, so that's, that's a whole tricky process there. Like one, you just said a whole lot of stuff. Like one is like, um, you know, Eliminating the word work, you know, it's like when you start doing things like that, you know, you're trying to also uh, you change your thinking and then that changes your perception and, and, and all, of, all of that. And then there's the alignment with what we're supposed to be doing and it's trying to figure out, I, don't know, I guess my, my view is usually it's the path of least resistance is the way we're supposed to go. Okay. I'm not 100% sure of that because also there's this idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I really don't know. I think that nature finds the easy path. And I think that if we use nature as our guide, then we will also find the easy path. But I think going back to your question about conditioning, I think we've all been conditioned that if we're not working hard on something, if there's not blood, sweat, and tears involved in this mm-hmm. – then maybe we're not really trying very hard or maybe we're not really fully committed. You know, if you want, Mary, if you want to do this project and you just want it to be easy, then, then maybe you really aren't co- are committed to this. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would push back on that and say, I'm fully committed to this. I'm just saying that I'm not going to force this project into a particular outcome just because I think that's what it needs to be. I'm going to set it off in a direction, but I'm also going to, again, keep my head up and keep it on a swivel and say, is this the direction this pro- this project wants to go, or am I trying to force something? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm trying to force something, then that I'm I'm out of oneness, right? It's now Mary's decision, it's Mary's desire, it's Mary's ego that is driving the bus, not this concept of the collective oneness. What does this project want? When I was starting, when I was rebranding my podcast, I was I was struggling. I was working on what is the title I want to give it, what is the description that I want to give it. 
And finally, a friend of mine said, Mary, why don't you just ask the podcast what it wants to be named? It's its own entity. Mm-hmm. What does it want to be named? What does it want to do for you? What does it want to do for your listeners? And that whole shift just changed everything. Again, it took me out of the driver's seat from me having to figure all of this out to now being more receptive and uh, in a state of, okay, podcast, you're out there. What is it that you want from me? And then as soon as I did that, literally within 24 hours, I had clarity, complete clarity on what the title was going to be, what the um, mission of the podcast was going to be, and the kinds of uh, guests and conversations that I wanted to have. For months, struggled, right? Mm-hmm. Struggled, it's got to be this way, is it right? And I was getting all kinds of feedback. Shifted it to what is it that the podcast wants, get in alignment with that, and everything started flowing. Wow. So do you think that is the result, like, like the power, sounds like the power of prayer. Um, when we do that, though, do you think that we're actually communicating to the universe or something outside of ourselves? Or do you think that it's just a result of non-local mind? I love that question because part of really what I do with my clients is, is we talk about not doing this, this outer game, right? And so is this coming from outside of me? I don't think so. I think all of this inspiration around my podcast came from within me because I am connected. We are all connected to this oneness. And so I think what I did is I tuned into that oneness um, and recognized this podcast as part of the oneness and I got in alignment with it rather than trying to tell it what to do. Do you ever find the podcast frustrating? I haven't since I made the shift. Wow. How many episodes have you done? A total of a hundred since the shift happened in February and I've been putting out a, an episode per week since then. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. And, and it, I am in alignment with it. Um, and, and I guess that kind of an experience uh, has really been my guide. Uh, the year prior to that, I had discovered conscious entrepreneurship. And um, so I decided to create a magazine to let to help conscious entrepreneurs who don't know that they're conscious entrepreneurs align with those values and recognize those values of conscious entrepreneurship. Um, they are, you know, we're in business to make the world a better place. We're not just in business to make a buck, right? And, and to save our families and our, our communities. Right. We're here for the collective. We care about people. We care about profit and we care about planet. And, and so I created this magazine because I wanted people who align with those values to recognize themselves mm-hmm. and then to, you know, here, give them information. Here's how you can help build your business in alignment with these values. And here are people who can help you do that. And, um, that too was one of, that was really my first experience of, Gosh, I have this idea. I think I want to create a magazine. The idea for the magazine came first before the, the audience came. And then over the holidays, the audience came like, Oh my gosh, that's who I want to do this magazine for. But I don't know anything about doing a magazine. I've never published anything in my life. Um, and all I had to do was start saying, well, you know what? I have this idea that I think I want to create a magazine. Oh, well, then I know exactly who you need to talk to. And right. And then I just followed that step and said, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing great, I've got you. If this is what you want to do, we can do this. And then every conversation I had with with networking, the, I'm creating this magazine. Here's what I want this magazine to do. Is this something you would be interested in? And all of a sudden, right again, it was one of those things that I was in alignment with the project. I wasn't telling the magazine what it needed to be or who it needed to be. 
I was just in alignment and I was letting the other people with me co-create what this magazine is today. In order to get from the point of your, your childhood conditioning to the point where you are now, where you can say, okay, I have an idea. I'm going to do this and, and hope for the best outcome and kind of leave the rest of it to the universe. Yeah. How did you get from point A to point B? Like, How did all you right. deconstruct all yeah. that crap that most of it, like for me anyway, was false? <laughs> exactly. Thinking or, or in habits to where you are now. I'm going to, the short answer to that is I had to learn to love myself. That's the short answer. The longer answer to that is that I had to start with self-awareness. So, you know, we all have that inner voice in our head that's narrating our experience for us constantly. And most of us don't uh, pay any attention to it. Right. And, and oftentimes we're just trying to get to shut up. <clears throat> I've learned that I, I want to bring that voice closer to me. Uh, on the one hand, especially early on when I started doing this, I started really hearing how verbally abusive I was to myself. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, and and I've heard many, many other people report the same experience. Like we just beat the snot out of ourselves over and over again. And and again, it's not even what we believe about ourselves or it's not a belief that we probably created about ourselves, but it's something that we adopted. Like if you you can listen to the voice and say, oh, yeah, that's something my mom would say or that's something my grandma would say or that's something my dad would say. We just downloaded it. We believed it. So I learned through self-awareness to, first of all, when I felt and heard myself beating myself up, rather than trying to push that away because it's really painful, I wanted to bring that part of me closer. And what that really kind of looks like is I'm willing to, to experience that emotional energy that that inner chatter is operating from. And so if it's beating me up, then there's, there's sadness in there. There's anger in there. There's, frustration and there's all kinds of uncomfortable things. Am I willing to sit with that and let that energy flow through me? Cause I've been holding on to it for years, right? Whenever, whenever there's a message, you're lazy or whatever that message was, there was some emotional energy that said that this really hurts. And we're going to hold that emotional energy because we don't want, we don't, A, we don't know what to do with it. And B, it feels like a protection for us. Like I'm not going to let this happen to me again, kind of a thing. And so first of all, self-awareness, listening to that inner voice, then instead of pushing that inner voice away, allowing the inner voice and that emotional energy to be experienced. Um, this scared me a lot. Um, grief was, was the first major emotion that I was really able to tap into. And, and that, uh, that actually my experience was, I think, amplified with the support of hypnotherapy. And so I had a hypnotherapy, some hypnotherapy with um, my grief and, and the grief just came on in wave after wave after wave. And I remember coming out of that, that first uh, hypnotherapy session. And I said to my, the hypnotherapist, I said, oh my gosh, I literally feel like every cell in my body is rearranging itself. Like I just let go of something major. Now, what that did for me then is with Having allowed that emotion to come through me and out of me, now I have created new space for myself. And in this new space, now I can create new beliefs for myself. What do I believe about myself now? And based on what I believe about myself, what are my behavior strategies going to be now? And so this becomes the way that we can rewrite 
our core beliefs that we're operating from unconsciously um, and rewrite those behavior programs so that they align with who we want to become. My experience is that this is a really a long time consuming process. You know, it, it's amazing. It's taken me almost 40 years to break through what I learned in the first seven. Yeah. You know what? I, I haven't actually done it yet successfully. Not even close. I said, let's say I probably maybe made my way through 30% of it. You know, I had a client one time who, who asked me that. She said, Mary, am I ever really going to get through all of this? And I said, no. We're really not. Um, you know, I think that as long as we're here, there's going to be more and more opportunities for us to um, examine those core beliefs that we've been living with. And not just through our our generation, but the generations that have come before us. Right. This is generational. Um, we inherit traumas. We inherit beliefs and, and those kinds of things. Um, I lost my train of thought. But it makes sense what you're saying because that's okay. like, what, what you're saying is like the whole point of, of this podcast or why I've why I do is what what I do is because um, you know we're growing we grow up taught to to, to think a certain way yeah. and and we're indoctrinated into this whole system of of, of money government yeah. parents religion and. We don't know any better. Exactly. Like, like you say, say to somebody, no, you don't have to work your whole life. You're like, you're crazy. I, you don't, I need money. Wow, you don't really, really need money if you really think about it. You know, people are like, what are you talking about? Oh, you, you don't know any better. Right. <laughs> you, right. you haven't thought outside of this container. Exactly. And I think that's really what this, you know, when we're talking about raising consciousness and, and awareness, I really think that it's, it is all about individually, we're, we're examining and breaking down our own, own beliefs about ourselves, but this is also happening collectively. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the conscious entrepreneur movement, I really think that's an example of collectively in, in business, how we're saying we don't want to do business the way we've done it where it's all com uh, competition-based, it's transactional. I'm going to get as much out of you um, and give you as little in return as I can. So I have, a, you know, the best ROI. I've got the best uh, profit margins, right? right? I think that we are collectively deciding that's not who we want to be anymore. There's still people who are going to play those games and businesses are still going to operate that way. Mm -hmm. And and that that is what it is. But I'm in a, I'm in this space because I want to promote this idea that there is another way to do business, that we can build our business based on collaboration, based on what is it that I can do for you. And at some point, if you can do something for me, great. Um, I think we can do that. I think we can make the world a better place. I think we can take care of our people. We can increase, we can generate the profit that we need as well. This is a profitable mindset mm -hmm. to to operate our businesses from because what's happening in that old model where you know it's transactional and and i'm going to get mine before you get yours kind of mentality that is why we're all sick this is why our relationships break down this is why our health breaks down this is why financially eventually that's going to break down that's too why the planet is dying <laughs> that's why the planet is dying exactly because that system isn't in alignment with who we really are has this divine being 
it's who we are as a human. We're separate. I'm going to, I'm going to recognize and, and experience my separateness. That's what that is all about. Yeah, but the conscious entrepreneur is saying, you know what? I want to, I, I want to eliminate some of this separateness. I want to experience more of this collectiveness, the collaboration, mm-hmm. because we all do better together. Well, it's still funny though, because, you know, I found still, even with what we're doing, there's still not everybody's there yet, or most people are not. Yeah. People are thinking about it. Like, hmm. That's right. You know, this is an idea that hasn't been presented to me yet. But a lot of people are not ready to jump off the cliff yet and try to live or, or, or try to create something for themselves to get away from working for companies. They're not willing to take a risk yet in themselves, in their own dreams. Exactly. And again, I think that's the core of our conditioning Um is that we've got to play this outer game. And what I mean by that is, again, this whole model of business, I've got to get mine before you get yours. You know, we we vacillate on this continuum uh, from victim, which is just, I'm I'm withdrawing, I can't do anything, so it doesn't matter anyway. That's the lowest level of energy. Mm -hmm. Or most of us are at that level two energy, which is the fighter energy. I win, you lose. Um, Because in order for me to win, you have to lose, right? I'm going to increase that gap. That's where most of our society is functioning at. And I would agree with you that, that we're just, I think we're at the cutting edge of moving out this, this comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. We're pushing that out by having these conversations, by normalizing these conversations about talking about beliefs and talking about, you know, how we are inner, inner motivated more than we are externally motivated. And when we continue to have these conversations and normalize these topics, then we give people, then it becomes normal, right? It, be, it becomes the norm. And so I'm excited about being on the cutting edge of this. I'm excited about seeing every new, you know, person that I interact with, bringing them into this space. And not only because it's exciting to be here, but it feels better to be here, right? This is where we don't, we can kind of, we can, we can relax. We can let our nervous system relax for a bit. We're all so hyper, um, and, um, chronically stressed. That's not going to end well for us at all. It so sucks. I, I, it sucks. <laughs> I, like, life, life is, can be so much fun if we, if we try, look at it from a different point of view. If we look, if we look at life as a, what am I going to do with this life? You know what I mean? Right. If, I, if I have a life, <clears throat> it's complete blank camp. Like, what am I going to do with yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to try to have as much fun as possible with it. You know what? I love that. I remember I was doing role playing when I was doing my coach training and I was the, uh, the client I was role playing and, and the coach asked me, you know, Mary, if, if money were no object, what would you be doing? And without question, I would, and it wasn't even role play, right? This was an authentic mm-hmm. answer. I came back and said, well, I'd be playing. And when I heard myself say that, I thought, well, that's, that's pretty true. I would be playing. Like, if I didn't have to work, I would be playing, which yeah. kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, just shifting the that vocabulary. I'm not working. I'm playing. I'm exploring. I'm, I'm experimenting with things. Yeah. It, that, that mindset changes everything. Hmm. Yeah, it's just... Uh... Yeah, the hardest part is getting rid of that. For me, it's getting rid of that negative chatter in my own head. 
I talked with a prospect uh, a couple weeks ago, and you know, he was going on and telling me about you know his traumatic childhood and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that he has spent in, in personal development, and that he had concluded that all of this works for other people, but it won't work for him. Oh. And at the, at the end of the call, he <laughs> says, do you think you can help me? And I said, can I really be honest with you? And he goes, oh, please. And I said, no, I don't think I can, because you've already decided that this doesn't work for you. Right. And until you are willing to even consider the possibility that this is possible for you, you can you can pay me all the money in the world, and you're not your experience is not going to change. Yeah, interesting. You know, I wonder, like with somebody like that, though, if you can point out to them all the things that the consciously do that they're successful at. It's like, all right, man, you woke up in the morning. <laughs> You won that battle. You got out of bed. You went out. You brushed your teeth. You know, you did all these activities consciously. You might not think that you're doing them consciously because you've become habits and you know, sure. pathways and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the other day, you know, we did those things consciously. And I think that's a good place for to start because it seems like at a certain points, though, we start running unconsciously. We start, you know, running off of the the more negative stuff. Right. Well, and again, it comes back to listening to that inner chatter. And my hope is with this gentleman is that he really maybe heard for the first time some pushback mm-hmm. and saying your core belief about whether or not this is going to work for you is, is the determiner of whether this is going to work for you or not. Uh, you know, that's kind of interesting because you, by you saying no may have opened the door for him. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Right. Because, again, we're playing this outside game. Well, if I just find the right coach or if uh-huh. I just find the right solution or if I just find the right book, like it'll come. It'll all come to me. We're looking for solutions outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. All of our solutions are within us. Now, in this case, um, you know, we have that critical bypass, right? The, the, the connection between our head and our heart. Oftentimes, especially when we've experienced trauma, there's a disconnect between the head and the heart. And it's like we're operating two different systems Mm -hmm. uh, simultaneously. And oftentimes these systems clash, which is, again, why we we experience stress. Because I, you know, this guy at the one hand can know everything that he needs to do. But his heart is so walled off from being willing to take any kind of risk or, or take a chance or even consider the possibility that he could still be safe without this wall is is a big leap. Yeah, and no, so no but nobody likes being hurt or having a broken heart or no. you know so we, right. we defend it but, but in the effort to defend that against the hurt we really lose out. Yeah. We're scared of the hurt. We're scared of that pain. Um, a, it hurts. <laughs> and nobody wants, <laughs> wants more of that. But, you know, we also have conditioning, you know, rub some dirt on it. There's no crying in baseball, right? We're, we're, we're taught to dismiss that, that emotional experience. When in the moment, if we could just let that, you know, think about a kid who falls down and scrapes their knee. A, they don't cry until they recognize somebody else saw them, right? Often, if you notice. Then when somebody else has seen them, then they'll start to cry. Well, if we can just, instead of calming them down or telling them it's okay, it's okay, just encourage them. That really hurts. 
go ahead, let it cry it out, cry <laughs> it out until it doesn't hurt anymore. Wow. And then you give them permission to do that. And, and then it's like, oh, I don't really need to cry that long. And then they're off back playing again. That That's what I I would love to teach little kids now, right? right? Cry it out, feel it, let it go, and then come back because you'll be better. You'll feel better after. Hmm. So, so what do you think about, wow, money? Do you think money is something that, that we could actually live without? I do. I really do. I, I heard somebody, in fact, my husband brought this back to me a couple, maybe a month or so ago. He goes, you know what? We're all just shuffling papers. We're all, you know, I'm making a little bit of money and then I'm going to give that money to somebody else and then they're going to give it to somebody else and then it's going to come back to me, right? We're all just shuffling this money around right. and it's meaningless. Um, I, I think that as at collectively, as our consciousness grows, we will continue to explore options that are, don't have, don't include money. I think that one of the first steps that I see happening now is um, the guaranteed income. I think that's in Finland. Mm -hmm. um, I have a client right now who that's his goal is to set up his estate so that his family has guaranteed income. He says, you know, if one of my descendants wants to be a poet, they shouldn't have to starve being a poet. Um, and so I think that that guaranteed income system can become that way of figuring out what do we do if we're not working? I had this conversation with my sister uh, a couple weeks ago. I said, you know, we got all of this AI is coming in and, and more and more of our labor is going to be done by technology. We've been promised this for 50 years, 100 years. What if that's actually happening now? And what if we literally do not need to work in order to create the goods and, and services that we need? What, what if that is happening for us? What would we do with our time? What would we do if we didn't have to work anymore? All right. I would podcast, create stuff, play guitar, hang out with friends. Yes. We would connect with one another. We would create things. We would play and we would have fun. And who knows what we could create out of that? That's my belief about what is possible. Um, I, I think, though, that, you know, the, the old mindset is pretty strong. And her response is, no, you know, everybody's got to earn their way and... <laughs> I just think that's just an old model uh, that is rooted in that Puritan um, work ethic that if I'm not working hard, then I, I'm not proving my value. Um, I'm not giving enough. I'm not caring enough. And I think those are our core collective beliefs that are really holding us back. Yeah, servitude, man. Yes. Like, we all feel like in order to justify our existence we have to be in service to somebody else to make that other person happy that's right that's what we've been taught for a paycheck and two weeks vacation yeah. right right and in the meantime again we're playing this outer game we're trying to manipulate and control people and events outside of ourselves to get to the results we want to get to the salary we want and when we come back home and maybe we have the salary we want, but do I have the relationship I want? Do I have the health that I want? Do I have the freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it? No. It, it? It's those payoffs. It's those trade-offs that we're saying yes to now. But I think a lot of people are saying, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. I don't think it's worth that payoff anymore. I think I can get 
I think I can have healthy relationships. I can have a healthy body. I can have the sense of well-being and I can get into that creative zone. And whatever I create out of that, I believe will be in service to others. I, that's, that's strictly me. I've got no, nothing to point to this as this is also true, but I be, that's what I believe is true. And I think that's what is possible. And so the more that we can, through these kinds of conversations, bring people into these conversations with us so that we can start exploring what are those old beliefs that we have? And is that really true for us now? And is that really who we want to become? And then giving ourselves the opportunity to explore and play with new possibilities and see what those new possibilities bring up for us and, and learn from that and, and just keep moving in that direction, keep moving out that comfort zone. Do you think that we're sort of, as a collective, and as some of, a lot of people as individuals, are sort of standing at the edge of consciousness and kind of looking out into, you know, wow, this is, goes out a lot further than we, <laughs> we expected? I do. And, and I don't even think that it's just within consciousness. I think that it's within the sciences, right? You know, with quantum um, um quantum physics, mm -hmm. the more that they're learning about that, the more they're learning about string theory. I'm not smart enough to be able to, you know, articulate any of those, but all of these sciences, even archaeology, you know, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, you know, he's controversial, but, you know, he's telling us the story that we've been told about the evolution of the earth is really superficial and, and probably not even accurate, right? There's that this earth has been here for so long and there've been and, and according to him, there have been advanced civilizations on this planet, and then they get wiped out. Yeah. And then we, we build again. And, and, and I think that I, what I love about that is, like, to me, again, that goes back to, to nature. And nature grows, it expands, and then it dies. And then it retreats. And then it comes back. A forest fire, right? Wipes mm -hmm. out everything. But in the process of wiping everything out, it creates new space for new, new growth. Yeah, absolutely. And, so I think for me, again, going back to that idea of, you know, we come from the collective to experience um, our separateness so that we can in enjoy the experience of coming back to the collective. I think this is a game that we cannot lose. And so if I can't lose, why wouldn't I play with this? Why wouldn't I explore this? Even if I think about catastrophe at a global level, I just watched a documentary on the super volcano mm. under um, my... Yellowstone, Yellowstone National yeah. Park, right? You know, and the possibility that this volcano either, you know, in the next week or in the next million years could really be a species wipe out experience. And when I think about that, does it really, do, do all the big buildings matter? You know, do, is, does a lot of what we're creating, does that really matter? Or does what really matter is what you were talking about. If I didn't have to work, I would be creating things. I'd be connecting with people. I'd be having fun. I would be healthy. Right. I think those are the things that matter. But either way, I don't, we're not going to get out of this alive. But I, I also think we don't, there's no way we can lose this game. Yeah. I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, I mean one of the things about life is it always ends to say, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I sometimes I make that joke about love too, like that that love always ends badly <laughs> because either, okay. either you break up or one of you dies first. <laughs> yeah, but but I also even from that, I mean, I'm so just do it, you know. I, I think that there are when I look back on my experience, I'm in my third marriage, 
And so when I look back on my first two marriages, I, I see them very differently. And particularly the second marriage, we had what I would call a conscious partnership. Mm-hmm. And I remember that when we got married, it, we agreed this was going to be a year to year contract kind of a thing. And that every year on our anniversary, we would ask ourselves, is this partnership bringing out the best in me or is it not? Now, 15 years later, we weren't having those conversations, but we, I think at an unconscious level, we had agreed that this isn't working for us anymore. So we ended up getting divorced. And what happened after that is within, I think, seven or eight years, he died of dementia. Mm. And when I think about, because at the time, you know, I was angry about, I, I didn't want to, I, I, part of me didn't want to break up. Part of me did want to break up. And I think part of me just wanted to kind of be a victim. But when I look back on it now, I really believe that our souls had this agreement that, you know, he we would come together up until this particular time. And then he was going to go off on another path because that was going to be to because I think for him, he didn't want to bring me into that dementia, that experience. He didn't want me to have to be his caretaker. That's my story. I don't know if it's true or not. He's gone now. We'll never be able to validate it. Mm-hmm. But but I but when I can look back on my experiences, especially those experiences that I've decided early on weren't good or or painful or all of those kinds of things, when I can look back on it with 2020 vision, I can start to see how things were happening for me, even in those experiences. Do you think? Uh, like you were talking earlier too about removing the word work from your vocabulary. How about removing the words like good, bad, right, wrong, negative, positive, all that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> all those things that limit us down to like two choices. Yes. Yes. I think that's a really good question. I think we would run out of words. We wouldn't have very much language left. So, what I like to do in those situations is acknowledge that I have a preference for something. And, and when I label something as good, that is my preference for it. If I label something as bad, my preference is I'd prefer not to. Um, that for me allows me to direct my attention to, to recognize more what I want and what I don't want without necessarily saying this is bad for everybody right? It's not my preference. This isn't how I want to live or, or these aren't my choices or this isn't what I would choose if, if I had the, the, you know, we have a power of choice, but sometimes we feel like we don't. Right. Um, I think that it's important to recognize this is what my preference is. Now that doesn't mean that I'm always going to get my preference. Um, and that's where we, it's important to stay open, right? Instead of just deciding this is what it has to look like. Can I stay open to what, what is happening? Um, there's a, a story, and I'm not sure which tradition it now that it comes from now that I'm thinking of it, but it's basically that, that story of the, the guy who wanted to race horses, right? He wanted to make money for his family by raising horses. And so he bought this beautiful stallion um, that was, was going to be, Oh, actually, it was a wild stallion. He wanted to capture it. And so he does. But in the process, and so then all of his neighbors say, oh, my gosh, this is so great. You've got this wonderful stallion. You're going to have this wonderful herd and things are going to be great for you. And his response was maybe so, maybe not. 
And then what happens with the horse is that his son is is training the horse and he gets a broken leg. And everybody's right. like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. This, the, I'm so sorry. And he's like, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Then, you know, the 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 lord of the province decides that he's going to go to war. And so he's coming around and putting everybody into um, to service. And his son can't go because he's got this broken leg. Or he's deformed and, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is great. Well, maybe it is, maybe it's not. And so it's that whole idea that in the moment, I don't know that we can really know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. And as things evolve and, and as the story continues to play out, then we can look back and say, oh, this is what I've got from this. And I believe that literally almost I can look back on any experience in my mm-hmm. life and say this was done for me. <laughs> Life is so weird. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It really is. You know, the more I, I do this, the more the stranger the world becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Give me an example of that. Because we can, we do have the ability to change it, but that ability to change it requires. Almost like less effort than more effort. Yes. Every, every, everything is everything in this life is sort of ironic in a weird way. Yes, yeah. that I would totally. And that agree makes with. everything so hard. Everything's so hard to pin down. <laughs> you can't really, exactly. You can't really pin anything down. It's just bizarre. Well, and then for me, that takes me right back to uh, the Tao. You know, mm-hmm. the Tao of Beijing and Lao Tzu and 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 the, his writings. I was introduced to those in my 20s, and I just made no sense at all. It just seemed like <laughs> riddles to me. Um, now that I have, you know, gotten some clarity, I'm I, I'm more aware. Now I can see the paradoxes. I can see how, while one thing might be true, the other thing is is actually more true. Those kinds of things. Yeah, it's it's, it's completely different than what we're taught. In school and from religions and from parents. At least our generation. I don't know. Maybe the younger generation is becoming more exposed to the things that we're talking about because we're doing what we're doing. Yes. I I think so, too. And I think every generation is upgrading those collective beliefs from the previous generation. You know, I look at my nieces and nephews and... They, they, they're in the millennial group and, and they see the world so differently than we did. And I think that's great, right? I mean, they're, they're not being restrained by some of those core beliefs that, that we were taught at, a, at our yeah. generational level. And yet they have their own challenges too. Mm-hmm. So I think that every generation is creating an upgrade for ourselves and then, and then new challenges are coming to light and then their kids are going to be upgrading and addressing those challenges and then creating some of their own. And I think, again, collectively, that's how we grow. And the more that we have these conversations now at the whatever generation we're at, we're influencing the next generations, whether we have kids ourselves or not. Um, we are influencing that generation and making it easier for them to let go of the old and create space for the new. Is that sort of the point of why you do what you do? To let go of the old? Yeah, like why is that why you do the podcast and the magazine and the coaching? 
I think at a macro level, yes. You know, I'm hesitating because I, I've, I haven't really considered it at a macro level. You know, I do what I do to um, support leaders of conscious businesses so that they can be the best leader for their business and make the biggest impact through their business. But what I what I'm able to influence through that is not not only will they influence their next generation, but also with their own kids, they're not going to be as defensive with their kids as our parents were with us, perhaps, right? They're going to be more open. They're going to be uh, listening. They're going to be connecting more. It's not going to be perfect, right? I don't, we're not getting to perfect, but it's going to be more. And so, yeah, that is why I do what I do, because the more people that I can influence and, and help bring into the space of when it's not about working harder, and I don't think it's about working smarter. I think it's really working more in alignment. We create bigger and more powerful um, outcomes. And that feels incredibly powerful. And that is what I want more people to experience. So what is a conscious business? What does a conscious business look like? What is the model for it? Well, I would say that first, let's just... Let me start with the foundational piece. I'm going to go back to those values. Conscious business, first of all, we're in place not just to make money, but to make the world a better place through our products or services. We also care about our people. And so rather than using people, whether it's on our team or our clients or, or our networks, right, any people that are, are connected to our business, rather than using them, we're enrolling them actually in our, in our mission. And how can you help? Me, how can I help you? And so it's collective. We care about profit. Um, and we care about, we make intentional decisions about the footprint that we're leaving on the planet. So conscious business starts there. And from there, with that intention of I'm here to make, I'm here to contribute. I'm here to make the world a better place. Then we are in this, this sense of servitude. And collectiveness and, and connection. And so what I think a, a conscious business is one that is very connected, um, both internally and externally, so that resources can get to where they need to be as, as quickly as possible, right? I, I think a collective, uh, excuse me, a conscious business also operates more like a network than it does like a pyramid, right? Because a pyramid goes right back to the old model of competition and, and domination, um, so we're, we're building these, these networks so that resources can get where they need to be as quickly as possible. And as we're able to do that, as we're creating this, we, we experience that momentum. We experience ourselves as this creator and we want to create more of that experience. Hmm. Do you think if everybody just did what they wanted to do, you, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've heard this many times and I have too. If everybody just did what they wanted to do. Then it's like, well, who who would build a bridge or who would build that or whatever, you know? I know what my answer is to that question, but what would your answer be? I think the bridge builders are always going to find a way to build bridges. <laughs> That's what I think, too. Yep. If somebody needs a bridge, they're going to build a bridge. <laughs> and not everybody can build a bridge. And we're going to need and we're going to want those people that have that passion for building bridges um, to, to be in our lives when we need a bridge. Right. We might end up with prettier bridges too, because we're doing yes. it from a different place. It won't be just a giant piece of steel and concrete. 
Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Maybe that's why some of the architecture, like in the from the Renaissance era, um, you know, those buildings that took hundreds of years to build, um, maybe they, they are they have durability, they have sustainability and they have lasting beauty, maybe because it wasn't just how much is this going to cost? Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't how quickly are we going to get this done? Uh, it was, we're going to create a work of art that's going to be admired for hundreds yes. and thousands of years. Yes. We don't we're do that art. anymore. Maybe that's what we would all be doing is we would all be creating works of art in our, uh, from our own, you know, artistic genius. Mm-hmm. Some building bridges, some painting buildings, building buildings. Some we're here to help others, you know, move along the conscious path. It sounds like a pretty cool world to live in. I think it is too. So for you personally, what were some of the stumbling blocks that, that you've come across that, that had to, have had to overcome to reach this level of um, belief that you can do whatever you want to do? I had to let go of my pain. I had to let go of that pain that created that, that, uh, grief, um, and the anger that was under the grief. I had to let that go. I really had to ask my, and, and there were some questions. There were times that I had to ask myself, who will I be without this? Who will I be without the story of, of trauma and pain that I've, that I've experienced? And when I was really able to let that pain go to allow that energy to move through me. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the only way that I was able to create space for creating something new. What do you do to how do you talk to people when they are like in a position where my passion isn't really generating me any income? So how am I going to survive and pursue my true passion. Well, look at all the beliefs in that statement. Mm-hmm. I can't, uh, the belief is that I can't uh, follow my passion because it won't make me money. Um, so if I can't follow my passion because it won't make me money, then I can't do my passion. So what I, I would start to help my client what are those stories that you're telling yourself? Can you really not? Are you really being prohibited from following your passion simply because you can't make money from it right now? Can you still practice and express this passion even if you have a day job? Mm-hmm. Right? So I think we, we set ourselves up for all or nothing. Either I'm you know, making the income I want doing my passion or I can't and I've got to work this nine to five job and, and you know, give a little, die a little bit inside every day. Right. And so I really think that it's challenging those core beliefs that says that I can't make money on my passion that says that I can't do my passion um, and be responsible to my family. Because when we can change those beliefs, everything else changes. Right. We find a way life finds a way. Interesting. I mean, Nobody wants to work a day job. No, no. But I think that's what I I think that's one of the things that we come across though is that if people realize that they don't have to work a day job, it it threatens 
you know, a lot our of system, people. Our economic system. Yeah, the economic <laughs> system, the religious system. Yes. The entertainment system, the, the news, everything. Yes. So there's like a little bit of a, a, a conscious resistance or, or resistance coming from those who want to maintain this structure. Yeah. Yeah, and those who want to maintain the structure that we're in, they're operating from the beliefs that they were taught. They don't even know any different. And so mm -hmm. any other possibility seems absolutely insane. It seems made up. It's mythical. It's fantasy, any of those labels. Um, and yet going back to what we were talking about earlier about paradoxes and, and those kinds of things, it's also true that um, we can create what we want out of what we have. That is true, too. We have everything that we need. The question is, do we really know what we want? And are we pursuing what we want? Or are we pursuing what other people have told us that we should be pursuing? Why do you think we've strayed from our what, own? Like, oh. like, like we, we've, how, how do you think we've allowed ourselves to become servants rather than creators? We downloaded all of those programs before we even knew what we were doing. And so by the time we're seven years old, we're pre-programmed with all of these conditions, and now we're living them out. I mean, like, like, where do you think it actually began? Not for us, but for people of Earth, for human beings. That's a great question. I, I like to think that when we were small communities, you know, in caves and, and those kinds of things that we were more in alignment with nature, because uh, we had to be, um, and we had to be connected to one another for our own survival. But I think that once these communities got big enough, then there's always going to be that person who wants the power, right? There's always going to be that. And so I think that's how we started to set up government structures, even in our very early history, we set up these structures, we set up our, excuse me, we set up our commerce systems. And then we had to set up religions, like I think these things got set up very early in our experience as uh, human beings. Because we, because we, there were so many of us, right? And we could no longer simply just, um, live off the land and, and live off of what we could do for one another, there was something more. And so I think part of too, as I, I'm even saying this out loud, I think as we're growing, we, we think that we have to change our system. So as, as our society was growing, well, we, we've got to bring some leadership into this organization. Somebody's got to tell us what we're doing here um, because we can't do this by ourselves. I think that that started very early on, it was about safety. Hmm. So I think it was just more of a herd mentality, essentially. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So as our, our communities grew, we ended up putting these structures into place, thinking that it was going to, you know, streamline things. It was going to make things easier. But they became their uh, its own challenge, its own obstacle. Probably no matter what we had chosen at that point, it would have come with its own set of obstacles. 
Right. Exactly. So on some other timeline, there's this other existence. Or right. We made that decision. It has its own challenges. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I don't, I, I love that. I love it that you just presented it that way because even as I was saying it, I felt a little judgy and like, well, somebody was doing it wrong. I think this is how it made sense to evolve and, and we're still asking ourselves, what is it that we need now? And we're still creating, either recreating our systems or we're starting to look at how can we create new systems? Uh, and, you know, I think the political climate that we've been in here in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years really has um, given us a lot of opportunities to really examine who, what do we believe about ourselves? Who is it that we really want to be as the United States or, um, and are are we making decisions in alignment with that or are we making decisions in alignment with something else? Yeah. So we, we it's the same thing that happens at a, at a, an individual level, right? We, we often have to experience that disruption before that, that triggering experience before we realize that the trigger was within us all along. Yeah. That, that, that motivation or well, pain always motivates us too. Very often. Well, when we reach a point where, you know, it becomes painful and self-destructive, yeah. now we, yes. we're more likely to look at it. Exactly. And change it. It, it, took, it, that, it took me um, a physical uh, uh, symptoms to finally say, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and my doctor had said to me, look, Mary, you're not broken. Like my, my skin was literally burning from the inside out. Um, I had blisters. It looked like I had a sunburn, um, itching, burning. And I, I thought I can't live like this. I literally, I can't live like this. And I went to finally found a doctor who would work with me, uh, without just putting me on a whole lot of medications. And he said, look, this is chronic stress. You get to the bottom of your chronic stress, your body is going to heal. And I, thought that I, cause this was 20 years into me studying both leadership and, um, personal development. I had all the answers already. And yet I wasn't applying any of those answers to myself. I was still playing the outside game. I was still hoping that if things outside of me were okay, that I would be okay. And, and it really, that was the shift where I finally had to, to look inside and be okay inside in order for me to feel like my life was okay. So, Going back to that self-love. So, 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 and that was after doing this for 20 years? Pardon? Like, like you didn't have, like after doing this kind of um, work for 20 years, you still had that issue. Oh, my goodness, yes. So, so I guess it guess proves that, like, knowledge alone doesn't exactly do it. That was my biggest lesson. Like, literally, I got pushed out of my, my first career with my superintendent saying to me, look, Mary, it's not what you're doing. He goes, I would be doing exactly what you're doing, but what you're doing is not working. So you figure this out or you have to go. And that was the moment where I really had, cause I was all, my head and heart were separated. Mm -hmm. I had trauma as a kid that was separated. And so I, I dwell, I, I lived out of my head and, and plans and strategy. And, and I wanted to be that amazing leader that brought out the best in everybody else. And so I thought, well, if I just did the right things, I would get that, that result. And that conversation, with my superintendent was that I couldn't ignore it anymore, that that 
is just not true. And so then it, it, as I was experiencing my own health and saying like, oh my gosh, I know all of this stuff, but I'm not using it. My heart had walls around it. I wasn't willing to really let the, what I was learning into my heart. And was I willing to trans allow my heart to transform and align with my big, beautiful brain that can plan and, and strategize? Um, I, the heart and was being all shut off, all, all tied up. And my brain was just hoping, well, I can just go out and I can just figure this out. And, and I'll, basically, Mayor, I got you, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're just going to plow through this and we're going to figure this out um, intelligently or uh, intellectually. That's the word I'm looking for. All of that knowledge without actually using it and experiencing it is worthless. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, and when we get to the point where we are ready to apply it, then all of a sudden it's all there and, and, and we see how it all fits together. But um, up until that point, it's really just interesting. Yeah, it took that pain to push you over the edge to actually try the stuff that you knew. Exactly. I think it's probably like that for a lot of people. I think so too. Again, it's that outward look uh expression yeah you know it's not it can't be me something outside of me needs to change so that i'm okay but when we look inside and all of our obstacles i believe are are within us and all of our resources are also within us and so the the barrier that wall that i'm talking about around our heart is our, our protection and when we can safely deconstruct that wall and what i mean by that is deconstruct it in a way that's not going to trigger our nervous system and and make us even more defensive but to gradually let that wall fall away then we create the, the space for new possibilities because as long as that wall is there we can only do what we've always done that's true but sometimes it comes back too that's the other funny thing too sometimes you fix something you're okay for a while and then that old thinking comes back. Yes, it does. It's like, man, I thought I was over this. Yep. I just had an experience um, this week. I was actually working with my uh, energy coach. And um, I, I had experience when I was home uh, a, a couple weekends ago. And I, I was severely triggered. And I felt three-year-old Mary show up, you know, in this <laughs> scenario and thankfully, I was able to come back to her and say, you know, this was this was a major trigger. This experience was and three year old Mary was just not having it. And so she's able to help me take care of that three year old Mary. Right. And mm -hmm. and uh, energetically intervene with her so that that three year old Mary is able to let go of that trigger. Mm -hmm. What about external people? You ever find that sometimes there's certain people that just there's certain people that bring out the best in you, and there's also certain people yes. that bring out the worst. Why Definitely. do you think that is? I'm going to go to the a, a little quip: hurt people, hurt people; healed people, heal people. And so I think that those of us who don't know how or we're we're frightened to take on our own pain, we share a little bit of that pain with others. And we have stories. We can justify why we're doing that. But it's, it's I think, when, we're, when we don't know what else to do, that feels like the most logical way to release that pent-up energy that we're carrying around. 
I don't think anybody wants to do that. I don't think anybody really wants to be that, but they don't know what else to do. They don't know what else to be. Do you think that it's okay to just look at desperation and pain as a positive? Because that's like the energy that, that drives us to, to make the changes to bring us closer to who we really are. I do. And I think that when I remember when I was not as self-aware as I am now to hear that kind of a suggestion, you know, that things that aren't going my way or can actually be uh, in service to me. Mm-hmm. I, I literally wanted to punch anybody in the face who would ever say that to me. Right. It just <laughs> felt, it felt like an insult, but what I, but again, that, that paradox of when, when you get into this space of self-awareness, things start to look different. Right. And as they look different, we, we have different experiences. And so now, again, especially looking backwards in the moment, it sucks. It hurts. It's painful. Um, so what I do now when I find myself in that space is, first of all, are, am I in alignment with what I want to create here? Or am I trying to uh, force something that doesn't want to be forced? So that's the first thing that I do to check in with myself. And then... If I can be relaxed and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be in alignment with this, then I can allow whatever this pain is because I can tell myself this pain that I'm experiencing is somehow going to help me move closer to my desired result. I don't know what that is right now. That story, whether it's true or not, that story I can live with keeps me still in the game when it hurts to be in the game. And it allows me to move through that. And then when I can look back on, again, as I was saying earlier, I can look back on any painful experience that I've had now and without much effort, I can see how that was a gift to me. And so if I never had that divorce, if I never had got pushed out of that job, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be who I am today. And, and so I think now I'm grateful that we have these sayings of, you know, we grow through pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it keeps me, I'm not going to seek out pain, right? Going back to, again, I don't think we have to experience pain, but sometimes we do. And, and when we do, I don't think we have to push it away. I think we can find a way to use that pain to move us closer to what we want. Right. And then that goes back to that whole judging thing. We, we judge the pain as bad. Like, oh, yes. I'm going to judge this pain as bad because it's uncomfortable. That's right. Rather than and, and, an opportunity. That's right. And so it you know, goes back to that language. Can I say, instead of saying that this is a bad scenario or this is a bad situation, would I just be willing to say that this situation is really painful for me right now? But most people's thoughts run too fast for them to change those little things. Got to tune in. We got to tune in. That's really what I work on with my clients is listening to that inner chatter. And, um, and, you know, the, even that, there, there are nuances to it because, as we were saying earlier, that inner chatter can be very verbally abusive. And even when it's not verbally abusive, what it's telling us may not be 100% true, right? It's overgeneralizing a truth. And so it doesn't mean that we listen to this and we buy into what it's telling us. It means that we, we listen to this as a reflection of the core beliefs and behaviors that we're operating from. That's a way to tune into our operation systems. What is the program I'm operating from here? And and then we get to ask ourselves, is that a program that is serving me now? 
And if it's not, would I be willing to let this go? It happens to me all the, all the time at night before I go to sleep. And I'll run through these things in my head. I'm like, well, why didn't I act this other way <laughs> in that situation? Like, you know what I mean? Like, things like, I didn't think of it at the time, but I'm thinking of it yeah. now. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe I'll try it differently next time. Right. In fact, um, have you read, what is the guy's name? Neville. Neville Goddard. Have you read any of A little bit, yeah. Yeah. He's got a a suggestion, and I'm not going to remember the name of the book specifically that I got this from, but he talks about rewriting your day. And so that when you go to bed and, and something, you didn't do something the way you wanted it to, he suggests go back through that scenario again and play it out the way you would have liked to have played it mm-hmm. out. Because again, our unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality and our imagination. And so when we can rewrite uh, those stories uh, uh, about our day that is in alignment with who we really want to become, then it's telling our unconscious mind or those programs, this, these are the programs we're operating from. These are the beliefs that we're operating from. And so in our waking time, our unconscious mind is aligned to those core beliefs, right? This is who we want to be. And so the next time we have that scenario, we're going to be more like that version of ourselves that we created when we rewrote the, the event. I, I think it's a fascinating, honestly, I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> when I usually hit the pillow, I'm, I'm out very quickly. So uh, I've got to find another time to to uh, fit this into my my schedule, but I think it's a fascinating uh, strategy. How about meditation? Do you think meditation helps become more aware of that inner chatter? You know, I think that what meditation does it it can, but there's so many. Again, meditation is one of those, those things. There's so many teachings about it. Let go of their thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, when it comes to meditation, I practice a version called open focus and it's really not a meditation at all. It looks like meditation. It feels like meditation, but the purpose of it is to retrain how we pay attention because when we are in a state of chronic stress, which most, most of us are right, we're playing that outer game. We're in a state of chronic stress. Um, it, it muddles our thinking. Uh, it's taxing our body. What open focus does, and what we're doing in those scenarios is we're focusing very narrowly on a topic, right? Because we're in this state of chronic stress Mm -hmm. and our stress response, our focus narrows and our resources also narrow, right? So that we can just focus on and address the perceived threat. The problem is that most of us have been trained and taught to stay in this very narrow way of focus, focus, Mm -hmm. you know, avoid distractions, focus on your work. Um, And that is actually keeping our nervous system in a state of chronic stress. And so what open focus does is that the prompts are all about feeling space. Now, the way that when I first experienced this, um, because for meditation, like I couldn't just let my thoughts go, right? They were just oh, so juicy. Really I'm going to follow them, right? <laughs> right. So I, the, what this did for me at the beginning was it gave my mind something to focus on. Can you, can you become aware of the presence of space in your thumbs. Now, it's very abstract, but my mind was like, can I become aware? Well, I can probably become aware. What would that look like? What would that feel like if I was aware of the space in my thumbs? 
And then we talk about the space in between your thumbs and the space around your thumbs and the space around your thumbs merging with the space within your thumbs. And so it's that, again, that connectedness, that oneness. And now instead of a very narrow attention, we have a very diffuse attention. And as soon as we, our body is in diffuse attention, our nervous system gets to relax. And so when I practice meditation, that is the meditation that I tend to go to because it gives me my brain something to, to hold on to. And it's putting my body um, uh, out of chronic stress into a state of relaxation. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do. When I meditate, I do more of a uh, shamatha, vispassana type of meditation where I just sit and just become aware of my thoughts. Try not to engage them. Just be aware yeah. of them, you know, right. and just watch them come and go and not judge them. Right. So it gives me more of a perspective from the observer rather than, you know, it, it's that whole game of, you know, am I going to be controlled by my thoughts or am I going to control my thoughts? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think we are controlled by our thoughts, right? Our unconscious mind is there for a reason and, and you know, helps us function as well as we do. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't get to choose that. <laughs> That's, that's the You're right. We didn't get to choose it, but we do get to choose it now. We do now. Yeah. Yeah. You do now. At least we can change some of it. <laughs> I, I think we can change a lot of it, a lot of it so much so that we can really have an, a completely different experience than what we're experiencing when we're in that outer game. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it might take generations to change it as a collective. I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully it's not too late, but. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think it's late. And I think that it's inevitable that future generations are going to evolve. I, I don't think we can slow that down. Um, again, I think that the, the conversations that you and I facilitate are, mm -hmm. is just moving, uh, that, uh, bar forward. I think so too. Yeah. Creating space for people to function in mm -hmm. because uh, we, we need someone else to create that space for us so that, at least to get started. And then once we start to um, come more in alignment with that divine part of ourselves, then we can start creating the space for others. Yeah, it works. Um, so it's been a pleasure having you on. This has been so fun. Yeah, it was a good conversation, especially yes. this early in the morning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before we wrap up, where can my listeners find you and what are some of the services that you offer? Yes. Um, my website is bluebambooleadership.com. And um, I work with, um, I'm a wellness coach for business leaders and professionals. And so what I do is it's a lot of mindset work, but it's also wellness um, around mind, body, and spirit. And um Right now, I'm, I'm uh, just doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, and uh, I also have communities. So I have a community with my Fully Alive podcast mm -hmm. where we have more of these kinds of conversations. And um, I also have a community on LinkedIn for the Consciouspreneur uh, community. And, and in this community, uh, there are – we all – align with self-reporting. We're aligning with these values. And it's really a collection of service, right? Um, how can I help you build your business? I need somebody in marketing. I need somebody in sales. Um, I need somebody in mindset. I need somebody in leadership. And so there's that community as well. And so I really want to create these communities that validate, that hold that space for us, that this 
we can do this um, and then put those resources in place um, so that we can help facilitate grease the wheels and make it as easy as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll put a link to your website in the notes Thank of you. this episode. It has been a pleasure having you. My pleasure as well. This has been a lot of fun. Great way to start my day. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it. And hang on for one moment and I'm just going to play the outro. All right. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. listen to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.